if I canalize the rage or the temper tantrum, I never do it harsh. I do it strong, but not harsh, never harsh. I am not moralistic with a child. I'm not telling him this is wrong. I'm telling him I want you to roll your eyes. I just want that. And I need, uh, with, with the girl that I told you with my record, I need, I need three years. Yeah. So you cannot be harsh or you will do what uh, the uh, old uh, authoritarian way was. Yeah. To repress everything. Welcome to the A Different Kind of Psychiatry podcast brought to you by the ACO. I'm Dr. Chris Burrett. The Journal of Ergonomy is now on Substack. Select articles from the journal will be available free of charge. Check out the link in the show notes to subscribe. Each month, we feature a patient interview, case presentation, or interviewer discussion with one or more of our doctors who practice a different kind of psychiatry. We are interested in your questions and comments and I would love to hear your feedback. Send an email to acl at ergonomy.org. The best way to help the American College of Ergonomy spread its knowledge is by letting others know about us. If you enjoy the podcast, we'd appreciate you leaving a rating and review. If you're interested in attending one of our webinar presentations, you can meet the doctors and join in on the discussion afterwards. If you're interested in training with the ACL, you can learn more about the medical orgone therapy and social ergonomy training programs. You can connect with us and learn more at ergonomy.org. This episode features the audio from one of the ACO case presentation webinars. Dr. Alberto Folia tells me about a three-year-old girl named Aline that he's treating for terrible tantrums, problem sleeping, and silly clown-like behavior. He explains how her treatment vividly demonstrates a key discovery of Wilhelm Reich, which is fundamental for medical orgone therapy. Today's presentation is entitled, Beyond Tantrums, Connecting with a Troubled Three-Year-Old, and it's presented by Dr. Alberto Folia. Dr. Alberto Folia is a board certified in psychiatry by the Swiss Board of Psychiatry and in medical ergonomy by the American College of Ergonomy. He has a medical organ therapy practice in Lugano, Switzerland, where he treats infants, children, and adults. He has written several articles about medicine, psychiatry, and ergonomy in a variety of scientific journals including the Journal of Ergonomy. So Dr. Folia, this is a, a really exciting presentation. I'm excited to hear it, but before we start, maybe you can just let us know, how did you decide to present this three-year-old and her treatment? Well, I decided to present this case because it shows very simply and very clearly one of the most important discoveries of Reich in the psychic realm that is the distinction between, between primary and secondary emotion, behavior, and instincts. And in this child, you can see the transformation from primary, soft, loving impulses into secondary, harsh, and destructive, irrational impulses. Very important. Good example. Yeah. So set the stage for us, Dr. Folia. How did she come under your care? She was brought to me by her mother. Her mother is a patient of mine, and uh, the daughter, three-year-old, Aline, she was having, uh, since the age of two, temper tantrums, a lot of them, 
sleeping problems, agitation, moodiness, and also a particular behavior that upset her mother rightly. She was doing the clown with everybody, and everybody laughed at her. The mother found that too much and not nice, and she was right. So, so the mother had some sense that this silly behavior, there, there was something more to it than just being silly and having fun. Exactly. It was too much. And also the, the temper tantrum, the, they were really violent. I see. Violent, yeah. And so how did treatment begin? So she brought her daughter to me, and I usually see the children in the treatment room on the treatment couch, the mother sitting in a chair nearby. And using this tool, the treatment couch, it's very effective for... Uh, for everybody, but most of all for uh, pre-verbal uh, children. There you can see uh, right away the, the state, how they, how they feel, how they are doing. Hmm. So it, it reveals... They reveals what yeah. they have inside. Usually healthy, happy children have no problem being put on the couch in front of an unknown adult like I am. So they look at me, they stare at me. I always say they scan me. They can stand minutes looking at me like that. And I like that very much. Who is this doctor? Yeah. Yes, who is this uh, element? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, uh, they show a, a central feeling, the, which is trust. And uh, this trust can be dangerous for them. If they meet uh, something bad around them, then they can be crushed. So disturbed children are not so easy. They don't want to lie down. They don't want to separate from their mother. They fight with me. Uh, they don't look at me. So we will see if we discuss about Aline, how she did. So yeah, let's get into it. How, how did Aileen present on her first appointment? She was special. She is special. She lied down and she was perfect. She looked at me. She stared at me. She smiled at me. She did everything I asked her. Uh, looking the light pen, uh, making faces, kicking, hitting. She was very participating and very curious. So it seems that she had no problems. Uh, but she had a problem. She didn't have voice. No voice. I asked her to make ah. She had no voice. She tried. She, she didn't have voice. So, so we worked on that. We worked on her voice. At the end of the session, I told her, okay, you can go back to your mom. She went back to her mom and she made the clown. Mm -hmm. And this was the first session. The clown was really silly, not nice to see. So it wasn't there until she returned to her mother at the end of the session. I see. So the second session, she is not that participating. She is not that happy to lie down on the couch, but she has voice. So she does everything wonderful. She showed me that she has voice. And I have to say that uh, uh, at the end of the session, after we made everything, making faces, kicking, hitting, yelling, she went back to her mother and didn't make this clown. Now, are there thoughts or feelings you have, you know, even initially at this second session? 
Not yet. I was happy to see that she didn't do the clown. So at the third session, it was interesting what her mother told me, that uh, she didn't do the, the clown anymore. She didn't do temper tantrum anymore with the voice. In, she liberated something. She didn't do, she slept uh, much better. She was lesser moody, but she was clinging, clinging to her. So things changed completely. Mm. And the session was revealing. So we made like every time she was curious again, she was participating again, she looked at me, stared at me for minutes, uh, yelled, uh, kicked, uh, looked at the pen, was very interested. And at the end I told her, okay, Aline, we are ready, you can go back to her mom. And she did what many little children do at the end of session, showing, stretching their hand and their arms and uh, uh, looking at their mother and going to their mother on the lap, hugging them in a very soft, loving way. It's always very nice to see this uh, reaction, this reflex of the little children at the end of the session. So Aline she was beginning to do the same. She stretched her arms, she longed to her mother, and suddenly, in a few seconds, she became harsh. She commanded her mother, she was aggressive, uh, destructive. She was, she was commanding her mother to come to, uh, to take her from the, from the couch. It was, it was really interesting to see. Dr. Foyer, so you're saying she's lying there on the couch with her arms outstretched, longing for her mother. And before her mother approached her or before they came together, it switched. It switched in a few seconds and she began to yell, now, come, come, now. She was three years old, so she didn't speak very well. But you could understand that she was commanding her mother to come to take her. Mm. The mother felt rightly that this was not good. This was harsh. It was uh, commanding, authoritarian. She didn't want to, to give in to this behavior rightly. And she said, no, in this way, I don't take you. Uh, and Aline began one of her tantrums on the couch, there with me. It lasted half an hour, yelling, pegging, doing, fighting for half an hour. At the end, she calmed down. She reached to her mother and went to her in a loving, uh, soft way. And this was a, a third session, yes. Wow. Yes, very nice. After the third session, mother told me she was much better. She was no longer having uh, tantrums, no longer making the clown, but still clinging. And then uh, this clinging was the second part of the therapy that now we are dealing with. But Aline is completely different than before. Ah. Yes. Wow. So we could re-transform uh, this secondary behavior again in a prime. But without therapy, this would have been fixed and she would have been remained like that. And this is the beginning of the transformation and the fixing of this transformation into a neurosis, into a harsh character trait. 
And and really, it almost sounded like she had two possible harsh traits that that um, her natural open uh, longing transformed to. You, you basically described it as the clowning way of attracting attention and people to come to her, and also that harsh, demanding, authoritarian way. Yes, you're right. The clown, I think the clown was more a substitute counter. Mm -hmm. To deal with this two tendency, she made the clown. The problem is right, she she needs a lot of counter, too much. There is this clinging. Would you say her silly clown was almost her facade on top of her destruction, destructive, you know? Yes. Um... yes. Mm. She was already developing a facade. Yeah. And secondary layer. In the disruptive, uh, authoritarian, harsh way. So she was developing uh, uh, a character, armor, a neurosis, and uh, these would have been for sure fixed in her. Would it's, have laughed. It's really amazing because what you you know with adults who delay who develop layer after layer after layer after layer, you know you, you caught it pretty much right at the the genesis of of these layers, you know, that secondary layer, that destructive character, and then her facade. Wonder yes, yes, I was lucky to observe that, and I was hit by that. That's why I want to present this case, because it is a particular case, and it is a particular clear demonstration of this uh, discovering the distinction between primary and secondary emotion. If you make this distinction in the education of the children, you uh, you have an easy task. It helps you enormously. In the past authoritarian education, children were repressed in their primary and their secondary emotion. The consequence was a so-called repressed repress neurosis. They were all obedient, submitted, uh, a little bit depressed. This was an average human neurotic. Now, in this permissive uh, education, uh, you don't repress nothing anymore, not even the secondary emotion. And so we have a new neurosis, unsatisfied neurosis, uh, impulsive, uh, violent, difficult to, to, to control, uh, and very fragile. Sometimes we call that the anything goes kind of attitude toward um, children, society. Yeah. yeah. Yes, you. And this is not right. Right. You have to distinguish between primary, it goes, secondary, it doesn't go. But today you cannot repress anymore. But you have to repress secondary emotion, as we have done with Aline. So, so what you're also saying, Dr. Foley, is we don't need to return to the, quote, good old days of authoritarian no. of, um, education either. No, it was unhealthy that too. But today we are all, we are only to the other side. Yes. There is a nice passage of uh, uh, Steinbeck. Steinbeck said, uh, the church and the uh, bordel, bordel, you say, bordel, and the casino. The, the church, the boardroom and the casino? No, the church and the bordel came into the West together. Mm. If the boss knew that they were only two faces of the other, of the same coin, they would horrify. 
So the new anti-authoritarian education is only the other side, only of the authoritarian education. And the old uh, nice time, they are only the other five phase of the today permissive society. Mm. Yeah. So, so Dr. Folia, one thing that really stood out to me was <clears throat> her mother was in therapy with you. And I'm curious if if every parent is in therapy of you when you see a child, and if not, what the you know, what you see as, as being different, because it really stood out to me that the mother really seemed sharp and really clear about what was going on with her daughter. Maybe not that she could address it on her own, but that she was pretty sharp with what was going on. She was clear, yes. Yeah. She understood it. It's, it's a problem. Uh, I have learned in the years uh, that it is better to have uh, in treatment children with the mother also in treatment. If not, usually I have mother uh, call me and ask for children who have problem and I usually say you should first begin therapy and uh, most mother accept and so uh, I begin to treat the mother and after a while when I begin to see emotions in the mother and they begin to express emotion then I tell them okay we can start with a child I don't take any more children without the mother in therapy it is always a problem they don't understand what happened. They get into the treatment. Uh, they disturb uh, the changing of the child. They don't understand it. So it's it's not easy. Yeah, that, that, that's been my experience as well, that um, I have to have a good connection with the parents if they're not in therapy. But even then, sometimes it's, it's just um, doesn't work as well, if, if at all, because like you said, they may have their ideas about therapy. They may have some conceptions, but but it it's not the same if they're not in their own therapy to really feel it. Yeah. So we have some questions from the audience, and I think uh, this is important. Can you please explain secondary emotions? I think to define that a little bit more clearly for the audience would be good. Secondary emotions are uh, harsh, destructive evil emotion, arrogance, uh, uh, overbearing, authoritarianism, uh, uh, emotions hurting the other. They begin very early, as we have seen in Aline, and then you have to begin to repress them, at least in the past. And then, as you said, you begin the stratification of the character start. You know, almost in some ways, it would be, in a lot of our... Uh, journal articles, we, we have this picture, you know, of, of a circle and it has someone's nature or core and you have an impulse, an arrow coming straight out of that. And then you have a, a larger circle around that one and you have that arrow going through it and then going off to the side, becoming distorted. And that's what I always visualize when I think of, you know, an impulse, a natural impulse to reach out to mother, for instance, in this example, going through a layer of armor and becoming distorted. And, and that Angle is really that that harshness and whatever whatever way that manifests. I use another metaphor. Metaphor, you say, either mm -hmm. has to go to the ocean, but if something happens, it is diverted, and this diversion goes destroying uh, the land. It doesn't go in the right path, and this is the secondary deviation of the of the river. 
Mm. And once it's deviated, it doesn't come back alone. Unfortunately. Yeah. But here we see with a little child, you can divert it again in his path with therapy. And in this case, relatively quickly. Yes. With little children, it's very often like that. Yeah. What you need 20 years in an adult, you need four sessions with a child, with a small child. Yeah. And, and just to go back to the idea of, of parents being in therapy, the child getting better and improving upsets the equilibrium between the parent and the child. And so if the parent isn't in their own therapy, they may not react well to that changing functioning of the child, right? Yes. For example, now Aline is clinging to her mother, so she's showing that there is a problem or that, that it has been a problem with the mother. There has been a problem of contact with the mother, and the mother is ready to face that. It can be hurting for a mother that wants to have the best for her daughter, that something in the contact between them has happened. Hmm. So here's a question. Have you also treated a father in therapy in conjunction with the treatment of the mother and child? Yes, in this case, yes. For uh, one year, I have treated also the father. But usually, the father is lesser important, I'm sorry. The mother has a biological contact with the daughter. It is much more important. I tell that for experience. I had two children in therapy, two uh, children of a patient, male, the father of me. And it was not good. The mother, who is important, didn't understand, didn't follow. Uh, the children changed a lot. And she couldn't understand that. So she took that as a merit of herself. Oh, I did that and that, and the children are better. The, the children were very, very difficult. Mm. And so she interrupted her. Mm. So I don't know nothing anymore of the children. I see. Yeah. The mother is more important. And in Aileen's case, um, did she have siblings or, or were there problems with her? A father or other people in the family? There is another son, an older son, who is also in therapy with me because of uh, um, uh, nightmares. He is a wonderful boy, and uh, he wants to come because he, I, he tell me his symptom, uh, you know, Dr. Fodia, I'm still a little bit scared. So ne next session, how are you doing? How are you doing? Still a little bit, I would like to get rid of that. And uh, the problem is uh, aggression. He is repressed in his uh, rage. And there too, there is a problem uh, with the mother. And he's learning slowly in therapy to get out his aggression, his natural primary aggression, not secondary. And this is helping him very much. Yeah, very. Yeah, I, I think aggression, especially these days, is very confusing is the word that comes up for me. For a lot of people, people tend to think of aggression and aggressiveness as, as a negative, bad thing. And it, it can be harsh, but, but not always. Yes. They don't distinguish between primary and secondary. Yeah. And the distinction is not so easy. Somebody has asked how you distinguish them. It's not that easy. Most of all, you feel it. And uh, so it's not so easy to explain exactly how 
uh, it is. When a child is here with me on the couch, I distinguish it because I feel it. Yeah. Yeah. And if a very, very destructive secondary aggression in children with five, six, seven years. I don't know if this plays out for everybody, but what I've noticed working with um, young young kids especially, but with rage, when it feels, when I don't feel like I'm going to be hurt <laughs> and I feel better off, it, it feels like we're closer to um, their primary uh, aggression rather than this harsh secondary wild um, and children can be, when they are secondary expressing, they, are, they can be very wild. They want to destroy my office. They want to pick up my things and throw them around. So I have a hard time putting them together, canaling, you say canalizing the river. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Can be a, a difficult task. Yes, yes very much so. Uh-oh, somebody jumped on your comment about 20 years for an adult. So basically, there's no hope for us grown-ups. That was the comment. I disagree completely with that. I think you should say more. And be, you do the same work as with children. You put the river back into the into the into its path, into its bed, and you it can last five years, 10 years, 20, 30, 40. It's very individual. But you do it. You do it. You'll see. You'll see with adults. What I would add to that, Dr. Foley, is it's not that nothing happens, then 20 years you're cured. There's this progression where there's more and more contentment with the range of feelings and functioning. And um, often there's patients who can, you know, not have symptoms, for instance, or feel much better after, you know, a short period of time but that they have some sense of being able to get more out of life. And, and so they continue on in therapy to address that. But it, it, it's not that they couldn't, you know, some patients do leave after a few years and they, they feel better and that's okay for them. Yes, yes. And there are patients that enjoy every step of the river back in, the, in his bed. And there are patients that don't enjoy that because the pain that they have inside is so strong that you have to come to the to the end to encounter this deep pain and repair it. But meanwhile, they don't have that satisfaction as many other have. Many other have a lot of satisfaction. Their life uh, become much better year after year. So it is really a, a pleasurable development for them. But not everybody is so fortunate. Yes. Even if they if they react very well to therapy, subjectively they don't see that. It really is just dependent on each individual person. Notice. So there's a question here: What was behind the, the clinginess? Can you say anything more about the clinginess in Aileen? So I saw Aileen only in another session, more than I told you. And uh, uh, I don't know yet. I suspect, I suspect that there has been a problem in the contact with the mother. Something in the character of the mother, the therapy didn't take away completely. It, 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 she is much better, but she still has this particular trait. Uh, 
say a little bit harshness. And uh, a sensible daughter like Aline has sensed that and has suffered of that. So we will uh, have to deal with it. Yes. Yeah. And here's another question. What about the two and three-year-olds who are bossy and act like little kings or queens, what people unfortunately call the terrible twos or terrible threes? Is this not a healthy stage that should be treated with gentle tolerance? What I need to understand the question. Um, people categorize sometimes the um, all-too-common terrible twos or terrible threes when when children are being bossy and acting like little kings or little queens and you know it's all about me and I want my way and they can be very um, um, oppositional and, and aggressive at times I I laugh because I remember a two-year-old boy that they brought to me because of that he came into the the treatment room and he didn't want to do nothing he took the chair near, he went out from the bath, two years older. He took the chair, which is bigger than him, and he began, no, 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 like that. He didn't want to do nothing. I asked him to do it, it was wonderful. So this was a, a bossy little uh, child. Uh, I called him Mussolini. <laughs> wow. Yes. And uh, the, uh, you have to uh, make them surrender to you. They they have to do whatever you're asking them, and you can uh, you can wait for for sessions after session. They make temper tantrum on the couch or the treatment couch. They don't want to do whatever you ask them to do, and uh, they can stand you for. Uh, I have a record: a child, uh, a girl. Uh, made a tantrum on the treatment couch for two hours. I could not go away. If I would have gone away, I would have lost the battle. She would have had the sense that she's stronger than me. After two hours, she surrendered. Mm. And she did what I had to, to uh, ask her to do. Rolling her eyes, following the pen. That's it. And then she changed completely. She is now still a patient of mine. She is now eight year old. And she called me. Can I come to therapy? I need to talk to you about that and that. Wow. That's yes, wonderful. Wow. And she was tremendous. So I, I guess I what I would add, though, is that um, I, I don't want someone to hear what you just said and feel like they have to like break in the, the two-year-old or three-year-old and, and, and like a wild horse that they need to like dominate the situation because often I think how things get to that point is um, a, a lack of perception of, of the child's needs at that age. Yes. That, that's how it comes to a head. I, I don't know if I give that impression. Uh, if I canalize the rage or the temper tantrum, I never do it harsh. I do it strong, but not harsh, never harsh. I am not moralistic with a child. I'm not telling him this is wrong. I'm telling him I want you to roll your eyes. I just want that. And I need, uh, with, with the girl that I told you with my record, I need, I need three years. Yeah. So you cannot be harsh or you will do what uh, the uh, old uh, 
uh, authoritarian way was yeah. to, to repress everything. In between this uh, temper, there is a lot of secondary emotion, but there are also the primary emotion hidden underneath. Right. So you have to be careful not to kill everything. Yes. No, I, I agree. Um, <clears throat> is there anything else about working with children that we didn't touch on? Because I know every every child can be different. Um, you mentioned some some things that you've noticed with children generally. That you know that if they're more in touch and, and more in touch with their health, they may be just more curious and, and trusting, um, more able to tolerate just lying down and following you know your direction. Yes. Healthy children, happy children, uh, they really accept you even if you are a foreigner, uh, a strange guy, adult, but they look at you, they are curious. And I, I have the sense that this is a primary feeling of uh, health, of unarmored life, like in the, you see it in the animals too, trust. And that can be very dangerous, unfortunately, because oh. the world is not loving. The world is not soft. And they open up. They come to you like animals. They come to you open, uh, loving, caring, and they got and they will, will be crushed. Well, that's an interesting observation because the way you're describing it, almost to me, it, it sounds like a tentative trust, meaning... The natural impulse to trust is there, but but they're not just arms wide open jumping into your lap. They're looking at you, making sure is that trust founded in actually you being trustworthy. You know, are you yes. kind and gentle? And you're right. That's a good observation. Yeah, that's why they scan me. Yeah, they really scan you, and you stay there. You let you let them scan you. They see everything, and it's wonderful. The other thing that stands out about this discussion is just even hearing Aileen lie down on the couch, make faces, yell, um, how rare that is with an adult patient who, who doesn't, um, you know, isn't familiar with the process. There are so many layers that block someone from just making sound, breathing, um, taking deep breaths, and, and following some of these basic directions. Yes, but this direction have a history, a long history, and they are functional. They serve a function. For example, uh, rolling the eyes. There are people that cry at the first moment they roll their eyes. There are people that begin to contend, have contempt. Huh, what is this shit that you are doing to me? Or something like that. Uh, so every one of these directions that you give are movement of the muscular armor, and they touch something from you, and you observe how they react. And there are many that don't react at all, so they, they don't feel nothing. These are pretty difficult patients, but you can go also with them. Yeah. And be very interesting with them too. Yes, yeah. Yeah, I've just noticed that with, with children, there, there's just so much less that gets in the way of just being able to... Um, you know, breathe and look at a pen light and move their eyes. I must say that treating small children until they are five, six year old, it's very, it's wonderful because it's, there, there is not lots of psychology. 
it's very direct. The river has diverted only a few months ago or a few years ago. So you are near something primary. Then later, if they bring you a child with eight-year-old, it's more difficult. There is already a layering. There is hypocrisy. There is shyness. There is a, a lot of secondary deviation of the river that makes uh, them uh, almost look like uh, adults mm -hmm. with their layering that needs uh, a lot of time to to dissolve. Yes. yes. Dr. Foley, this has been a wonderful discussion, and I, I really appreciate you presenting your, your treatment with Aileen. Anything else you'd like to let the audience know before we stop? I want to really uh, point out uh, this discovery of Riley, the distinction between primary and secondary emotion. Nobody makes this distinction, and this distinction is essential. With little children, even more. Uh, but then later in the adolescence, it's also very important. So this is something that I would like the audience to keep in mind the transformation and the distinction between primary and secondary. Thank you, Dr. Folia. Thank you. How do you feel after listening to Aileen's story? What do you think? I was happy to hear that Aileen responded so favorably and so quickly and I appreciated Dr. Foley's metaphor about a river runoff course and no longer to the ocean. The best way to help the ACO spread its knowledge is by letting others know about us. I hope you share this podcast with your friends and family and let them know about our work. You can connect with us at organomy.org. I'm Dr. Chris Burrett. Thank you for listening to the Different Kind of Psychiatry podcast brought to you by the ACO. Since 1968, the psychiatrists affiliated with the American College of Ergonomy have been helping patients discover greater satisfaction, health, and overall well-being in their lives. Whether patients suffer with mental illness, struggle with addiction, or feel unsatisfied with their work lives or relationships, medical organ therapy, as practiced by the physicians at the ACO, offers a way forward, often without the use of medication.